I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down our year and our final season, at least for now, of Breaking Out of Breaking In, the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to do a quick housekeeping update about our Patreon in a little bit, um, but before that, just to anchor us in time once again, uh, we are recording this episode on December 5th, 2023. Probably a myriad of horrible things have happened since then. Certainly, horrible things are happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, since we're able to record this in more real time than we ever have, it feels once again relevant to mention when we are. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked a, a little bit more in length last episode about like the specifics of what's going on um, in Israel-Palestine right now. Things continue yeah. to be bad. There was a ceasefire for a little bit, kind of, but not yeah, really. I mean, it was like cruel torture more than anything. I think... Personally, I've come to the conclusion that we already live under the fascism that we fear when our our reps are ignoring 80% of their constituents' request, demand for ceasefire. Literally, no one has ever gotten their freedom by asking politely from their oppressors. And mm-hmm. so being disruptive is, is the objective. There's no such thing as yeah. like peacefully protesting. There's nonviolent protests, but the whole point of a protest is to be disruptive, to make sure that business cannot go on as usual. Right. Like everyone seemed to somewhat understand this during the strikes. Like yes. the point of the strikes is that it's inconvenient, that it is disrupting a pipeline. Oh my the God. True well, don't even get me. Like on the, <laughs> in terms of the strikes, all the people who are like, damn the man and all for solidarity when it was about their paycheck but then all the fucking people well, but that's in what i'm saying it's like silent yeah right like people get it when it's like yeah. close to home yeah. and when it's specific to them but then like to apply the exact same logic and circumstances to protest to political action like suddenly everyone's like i've never met her what mm-hmm. it's like come on yeah. Come on, guys, at least be consistent. Like, the hypocrisy is one of the things that I can't. Me too. I just can't with. Well, especially with our industry, people who, like, you know, tell stories about revolution and about liberation and about, you know, being for the people and are about, like, empathy and love to pat themselves on the back about their with their inclusion and how they cast with diversity in mind. And it's, like, all just buzzwords and bullshit. But when it actually comes down to standing for people and standing against oppression, they don't say shit. I do think art matters so much because it's what gives people hope. It's what allows them to imagine a world beyond what we currently live in, a better world. It allows, obviously, to spread empathy and all of that. But, like, when you look at all of these artists being silent and just, like, towing the line and prioritizing themselves individually over the collective of people in society and humanity then it's like fuck art and artists you know like that's it makes me just feel like oh what we do doesn't matter if this is like if this is us collectively as artists in our industry like we we are we are the biggest empathy spreaders as filmmakers and television writers and actors and all of that because we embody humanity and we we reflect society at various times and like we have so much power and to see people just not 
not respecting what that power means. It's not sides. It's not about taking sides. It's like channeling it towards the goodness and the betterment of humanity, like objectively. Having them not do that and choose like fear and silence and well, I want my career, so I'm going to pander to these people in power. Um, it's just sickening and yeah, and so it just like has made me feel, I don't know, we'll get into it, I guess, as we talk more about our respective yeah. careers in this episode, but yeah. Yeah. Well, so speaking of our respective careers, uh, this is the last episode of Breaking Out of Breaking In, at least for the foreseeable future. We have, in theory, plans to come back at some point. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But with that, uh, as you guys know, I usually start episodes with a plug for our Patreon, patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Um, And as a result of us going uh, on let's say an extended hiatus, uh, we will be pausing our Patreon as of December 30th, 2023. Um, because since this is our last podcast episode, we will not be regularly releasing Patreon content. However, there's still a lot of great stuff on that Patreon. So as you know, for the last three seasons, we have released bonus content for every single episode that we have recorded of this podcast over on Patreon. So if you want access to that entire backlog, um, plus some bonus podcast episodes that were never released to our main feed, including one video podcast, you can subscribe (laughs) at the $3 tier and that will still work. You can still subscribe. So if you're listening to this far in the future, presumably our our Patreon is still up. Um, So you can still subscribe to a paused Patreon in order to access the backlog. And it'll now just function as a one-time kind of shop for access to those archives. And uh, we're hoping to keep that available as long as possible, but you won't be charged going forward. So like if you subscribe at the $3 level or the $1 or the $10 or whatever, we'll get that subscription money, but we will not continue collecting it because the actual active like subscription will be paused. So it'll Hopefully that makes sense. It, it'll it'll function as a one-time purchase. We reserve the right to relaunch the po- the Patreon someday, especially if we continue with the podcast someday. But you will be like alerted if that ever happens, so that if you decide later on to cancel your membership, then um, you are absolutely within your rights to do so. And for those of you who are already our patrons, thank you so much for the support over the years. Yeah, we really really you. appreciate it. And you will also not be charged going forward. So if you were one of our current Patreon subscribers, um, I think you have already been charged for the last time, if I'm doing my math correctly. By the time this episode comes out, I think you will have been charged one last time already for access to like this stuff. Um, But you will not like you will not be charged in 2024 at all unless we decide to restart the podcast at some time. So like. You know, if you want to maintain access to the archives, you should stay subscribed. um, And we will definitely let you know, as will Patreon, if um, we ever plan to start charging again. Um, And to recap, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking out pod to access three years of archival templates, infographics and curated bonus links. But if you're a new subscriber, you will only be charged when you subscribe, not monthly. If you have any questions about this, if this explanation was not (laughs) helpful to you, um, please feel free to email us at breakingoutofbreakinginpod at gmail.com, and we are happy to answer any questions there. Um, So that's the the Patreon update. Christina, did that make sense to you? Yeah, it did. (laughs) Cool. Well, I've convinced one person that I know how to explain things. Perfect. (laughs) So... uh, 
Also, I guess, episode. like, I don't think, yeah, I don't think people didn't realize. I don't know if we announced at the beginning of this season that it would be our last. Is this new information I, to I people? I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we've made, like, oblique references to it. But yeah. maybe that's just in, like, private times. Because I've definitely, like, told people. Me too. Uh, like, other but... fi- filmmakers and stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. So, sorry if this is a surprise. But this, <laughs> I mean, I, it can't be that much of a surprise. We went from bi-weekly to monthly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, and, you know, I just, like, you know, people released their... Um, Spotify wrapped. Ugh, Spotify. Mm-hmm. People were releasing their Spotify wraps and we were like showing up as number one or number two or, you know, on their top five of podcasts. And and I thought that was really lovely and like I'm so appreciative of that. Yeah. Uh, and so I imagine for some people it feels like a loss, you know, not, maybe not for everyone, <laughs> but for our, our diehard fans, maybe. And I just... Yeah, I want to thank them for listening over these three years and, and hope that, I don't know, I don't really know what I hope, but but I I think it's clear that because Bree and I haven't made anything, you know, since, since 2020, um, mm. basically, we haven't actually been in production, that there just isn't much for us to talk about. And we've talked to all these wonderful guests and we don't want to We've said this before, we don't want to just be like every other filmmaking podcast where we just have like a filmmaker on to talk about their latest project every episode. Like, though there's... This was never meant to be an interview podcast. Yeah, exactly. And like... That's not the format. Right. And that's just... There there are ones already doing that. And like, you should listen to those if that's what you want. That's not what we wanted to be. It didn't make sense. Um, And I think if we continued, it would just be me and Brie like bitching about politics probably um <laughs> <laughs> which i don't think any of our listeners like want to listen to like also just have like have a call with us if that's what you want like we're happy to do right. that you know <laughs> one-on-one but um yeah it's just a lot of work to be editing the podcast and releasing and keeping up with the hosting fees and everything beyond what's the archive for a podcast that isn't doing what we what we set out to do at this time but you know right and also so much of what like season one I think really took the wind out of the sails for season two and three even though we've had some of like I think in my opinion our best episodes the past two seasons because season one was so comprehensive yeah which was originally what we set out to do is create like a comprehensive real talk podcast about craft Mm -hmm. about the industry about you know building community in in film and artistry and like we really struggled to come up with new ideas after that because like we'd covered everything certainly everything that we felt that we personally could like add to the conversation about Mm -hmm. and I'm really proud of the episodes that we've put out but yeah until the two of us get new experience or are working on something that might be valuable as a case study to listen to like we've done what we set out to do and you know we'd rather end it now rather than devolve into like a weird (laughs) hybrid podcast where we complain about politics and um you know cowardly industry people and yeah for half an hour right i think like this idea that podcasts should go on forever is i don't know like most podcasts i stopped listening to after a while because it's like you know if it was a rewatch like they rewatch the show and that's that and i don't necessarily want to hear them talk about another thing um Mm -hmm. you know and so i think for us it's like recognizing when 
there isn't any real meat to the thing anymore and right well and also like yeah. we both have we're busy with other things we mm-hmm. you know we we didn't yeah. have an editor this season which definitely made the experience less fun yeah uh, but you know you need money to pay an editor yeah. and Ezra Ezra Lee was amazing and we were so glad to work with him throughout season two but we couldn't afford him anymore because our yeah. you know we didn't have as many patient subscribers but we we also didn't have time to like really dedicate to like let's build this as a business because I think yeah. that we played around with that a little bit but that was never a priority for either of us especially when like I had a full-time job when you were mm-hmm. um you know really busy with uh with Midnight Harvest and mm-hmm. like moving and all that kind of stuff like it just it was never the right time and also was never really our intention like we didn't necessarily want to build like an education empire yes <laughs> if it had happened I think we would yeah. have figured it out but like ultimately you know with without I... this being financially meaningful and us able to like divest from the editing portion of everything they're just like on a personal level it's i'm glad that we did it i'm also really glad to not be doing it for same yeah the foreseeable future i also think whenever we would ask people what they wanted to talk about it was always so specific to their like what they're trying to figure out and then it was started to kind of dawn on us like these people should just be coming to us for consultations, you know, like (laughs) this isn't something that we could just talk broadly about necessarily, or we have talked broadly already. And now they're asking like hyper specific follow-up questions. And so, yeah, it's like Brie and I both do consulting and Mm -hmm. yeah, Brie, Brie, especially now that, that Brie is, um, full-time freelancing so like Mm -hmm. if you want specific advice go to her (laughs) and set up a session recastellini.com slash consultations (laughs) um yeah so like yeah i mean our email will remain open and we will be able to access it so like if you ever have questions like email us and we we will direct you to the correct person for consulting uh and you know i I don't know where on social media I'm really active these days, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have questions, we're still going to be available. Absolutely. Just not in this regular audio format that we have to edit and do a bunch of bells and whistles to. So, you know, we, 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 we will remain available. We will remain talking about these things, but um, just the podcast itself is ending. Yep. And yeah, I don't, for now, until we do our 2023 recap, I don't really have anything else to say about it. I'm really happy we were we were here. I loved making a podcast with Christina. I love making a podcast for all of you wonderful you. people, yep. our patrons especially, um, but everyone who listened and shared and showed off how often they listened. We love you very much. We are so happy that we got to do this with you. And we're also happy to end this on our terms, in my opinion, going out strong. I agree. Yeah. So, Christina, how was 2023 for you? Um... <laughs> You know, it was a mixed bag. I went into the second half of the year really excited about experiencing fall. And then all of fall was our country funding a genocide. So (laughs) it made it really hard to like be in the moment and to unplug. And that's like, I'm not complaining that that was like, oh, poor me. I couldn't, you know, enjoy the leaves in my yard because because of the awfulness happening. on our tax dollars like you know it was fine all things considered acknowledging the cognitive dissonance of just being alive in the world yeah yeah i um you know one thing that i think i really have gained 
from the last few months has been in renewed appreciation for social media and the power of social media. I was like so, I started this year so like ready to completely delete my entire existence online, <laughs> if anyone recalls. Part of me, I went through like a phase when I really started speaking out for Palestinians and for Gaza. Part of me like regretted that I kicked out all of my Instagram followers that I didn't know and went private, you know, a year, over a year ago because I I wish I had been able to reach more people and like I got harassed a lot but I also did change some hearts and minds when I was like at the early stages of trying to give people grace for not realizing that they were that they'd only been sold propaganda and didn't know the other side and now I'm just angry and yelling at everyone and unfollowing anyone who like hasn't at least posted a ceasefire so <laughs> well at least anyone white any you know not not everyone I feel needs to be vocal on their platforms but I think certain people definitely should and have not unfortunately um but anyway the point is like that's been a shift for me that I've I've made my account public again and I've really like owned the power of my voice in that way and just like being I, I got remind after 2020 I felt like I felt like social media was so performative and so many of the people who were like pretending to have done work over summer 2020 had like were clearly showing that they were just like full of shit and were just like jumping on a bandwagon and performing and so I just lost any sense of like what this is only this is all only bad it can't be good that was like my feeling and then reminding myself Particularly in this moment where like our mainstream news is literally airing propaganda and lies because we want to profit off of gas that's under Gaza. Um, and it is just like the Iraq war and how people were lied to after that. Uh, but at that point in time, social media didn't exist. And so you didn't get to see the various civilians that were being bombed and killed for the sake of oil. And like social media has been able, it's, it's been so hard to watch, but it has given us like a front row seat to what our country has always done and always been. And like that has reminded me that social media is so important. And though yes, is like incredibly flawed and can be hard to find a balance with, like I'm definitely struggling with unplugging for my own mental health while still staying completely like um, in the know you know, and advocating sure. as much as I can. So it does definitely have all of its negatives. It it does have this incredible power that I've been reminded of. And now I'm in a way I've been like, you know what? I really want to be famous <laughs> just for the sake of being able to be so loud that I get blacklisted. Like that's my new aspiration. <laughs> I went from like not wanting to be perceived to like wanting to be so perceived that I get silenced <laughs> like that because I want this window in time where I can just like speak truth to power on on a massive scale um so I think that's I don't really know that I don't know what that says for like my own mental health and if that's a healthy place to be in but I but I I don't know it's given me like some level of renewed uh ambition back towards like the hustle of my career in a way mm -hmm. but yeah I don't know I don't know how to like talk about this whole second half of the year without bringing up all the awfulness so that's 
just a reality. Sure. Is there anything you can share uh, about your your film? Because there's been some behind the scenes updates, but I don't know how much you can actually talk about yet. After the writer's strike ended, we did have a meeting and we talked about the budget. We talked about a timeline and it kind of, I don't know, I had like a, it was disappointing because I kind of had to come to terms with the fact that I'm going to have to wait a whole more a whole other year to make mm-hmm. the film because it is set in fall and though you, you know, most of it is set at night and it could be cheated, most of it is also set inside. It could be cheated just based on the timeline of even the SAG strike, like we technically don't even have the vote. I think that's like the deadline is today, right? December 5th. I think it is actually, yeah. December yeah. 5th is the is the deadline. So who knows by the time this episode comes out what the status of that will be. But based on how many projects from the like spring, summer, fall, and possibly even into the winter got paused for this year, presumably those will take up the bulk of next year. And so just based Mm -hmm. on like actor availability, it makes sense that we're looking at sticking to fall. Maybe it's earlier fall than, you know, would have been the case if we had moved forward this year, but still it's like a year. So Mm -hmm. in some ways it was nice to have like a meeting again and to have progress. Like we were finally able to make some offers to actors and we haven't heard back yet. That literally happened last week. like Friday, I think. So uh, I don't know what the status will be by the time this episode airs, but that's like, it's cool that we're at that stage where we're actually making offers. Um, But it was also disappointing to have to like hunker down in my mind and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. another year of this waiting, which again, in the grand scheme, not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's just been weird talking about casting, you know, especially at a time when so many people are being silent about genocide in our industry. It's made me... Or being not silent in the opposite way from what we want. Correct. Being just awful. Um, Yeah, it's it's really weird because I have no power. I have zero power at the end of the day. And actors, you know, it's it's such a different thing for me and how I typically make films because I'm all about like this communal feeling and vibing with people and then like chemistry testing and holding auditions and trying to like cast the best people for the role with the resources that I have and also who feel like people I'd want to work with and this is like totally different in that it's who's going to help us secure the financing and Yes, mm. they should feel good for the role based on their acting ability. And it's and it's interesting because, like, every name that's on the table is a good actor. So it's not like I'm going to end up with a bad actor. Right. Whereas, not like... forcing you to cast, like, a TikTok person. Right. Who wants to get into acting. Right. Um, and an undeniably probably better actors than if I were, like, holding auditions and trying to find unknowns even though that is like more exciting to me finding it discovering like quote unquote discovering people like giving people their quote unquote big break um that's just like not the reality because I'm the I'm the like unknown in this scenario so Mm -hmm. I don't have the power to bring in unknowns it's exciting the prospect of working with people who I admire for their craft and I already know are really good in thinking about what they could bring to a role But it's also weird because, you know, 
yeah, like people who are already famous and have public opinions and stuff, like, I don't know, it becomes, it becomes so much more of a business where it's like, oh, these are my colleagues. Like, we're not a film family. We're not right. making a movie as a group with a collective mission. We're, we're making, we're like working on this small business together for this window of time. <laughs> and right. I am trying to like do it to the best of my ability creatively and ethically and all of that. But like, I have such little power. And so it's weird because like, and not even, even outside of the Gaza thing, like there was a name on a list early on for one of the roles and then um, domestic abuse charges came across, came out for that person. And it's like, that could happen mm -hmm. if I cast an unknown and probably is more likely right. to happen after the movie comes out and then like they're now right, more famous. Like scrutiny. Right, there's scrutiny. Yeah. Um, but at least in that world where like I cast the person, I held auditions and I cast them, it was because I like thought they were the best person for the role and not because they were the name that would get me money. And so it's such a weird, mm. like, it's always a risk. It's always a risk attaching people who you don't know. You don't, like, people can seem really great and then not be great, you know? And mm -hmm. it's no one's fault. Like, you're, you're, if you're trying to, it's like if you hire someone for a company, you can't ask their political views. And, but right. then if they, like, suddenly turn out to be this warmongering awful person like what can you do um mm -hmm. and so it's just a, but it's like i don't know it's a, it's this gray area because film is so storytelling is so like intertwined with your real life and like celebrity culture is so it's just so i don't know like messy and whatever so it's just a new world that i'm navigating and um and i'm learning a lot I'll say that. <laughs> uh, but it's mostly good stuff. I, it's mostly good in the sense that there's forward momentum. Mm -hmm. In a world where people are being like, you know, fired from projects or dropped by their reps for calling a genocide a genocide, which is wild. <laughs> like that's the world that we're in. I'm trying to think about what power I do have and like the power I have is to choose my department heads you know, and so I, I, and I'm telling a story that, that has subtext that though is not specific to the current awfulness of the world, it is thematically relevant to the general awfulness of American culture and capitalism and colonization and all that. And so, so I'm trying to, you know, get this film made because I think it matters, not just to me, and trying to empower people who would otherwise not be given opportunity through the hiring decisions that I do have. So it's a monster movie. I don't know if I've ever said that. Also, you said the new title at the beginning. You definitely have. Okay. Um, you said the new title at the beginning, Midnight Harvest, which I don't think I've said before. I've always referred to it as Silent Night, but that's its current working title. So we hired an illustrator to design the monster, to be part of the pitching process as we go out to financing and that's been you know i haven't seen it yet that was also just this week actually that we spoke with an illustrator so i'm excited to see that um it starts to make it feel a little bit more real but you know it's hollywood so uh yeah just be like it's not real until it's real it's not real until we're on set right um right and that and, that and even be... then they might shelve it right totally so they can get the tax right off oh god i know and then even if it's on streaming they can remove it after a week because all the new subscribers are already there 
I know. It, this whole industry is just so fucked. But uh, I'm excited that it at least feels more real than it did. You know, I started working with the production company that I'm working with on this film almost two years ago. It's been over a year and a half. So then it was just script notes. And then at the beginning of this year, we finally got out of the note stage. And then right when we were going to start pitching for financing and to actors, it um, the strike happened. And now it actually does feel like we have a budget breakdown, we have a, a tentative shooting schedule, we have hopefully this illustration coming, we've got offers out to some some actors that will hopefully like it and will help us secure the financing. But, you know, so it starts to feel a little bit more real, but I'm still in this stage of like, it's been a learning experience. I'm grateful to be at this stage, to be having meetings with the people that I'm having meetings with, to be given the opportunity to get to talk about directing this movie and I hope it happens but I'm also you know just being like cautiously optimistic I guess because it's like a lot sure. can change in a year you know <laughs> a lot changed yeah. over this year so I was gonna say like a lot has changed over a year yeah um but you know I've been we've been we've been writing stuff together which we'll talk about I've been writing other yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say, luckily, you have other you have other stuff going on. Yeah, so like, I have other projects that? that I'm sure. Like I'm try, but I just want to say, like, I'm trying to think about what's next. Sure. Whether it is like after I make this film or after I've explored the entire process of trying to make this film, um, mm -hmm. it's not my only egg in my basket the way that I feel like it was last year. So. Sure. That's good. Cool. Do you want to talk about any of those other things that you're working on outside of the one that we spent an hour and a half talking about last month? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I, I've been really, after our co-writing experience, I just really liked co-writing. I think that's been a revelation of this year is how fun co-writing can be when you're on the same page obviously and you have a similar style sure. and everything um so kelsey and i did a revision of a feature that we did a, a rough first draft of in 12 hours when she was at an airport um last year we did a full revision it's called baby moon it's a, an, a horror film as well and then Ryan, I had this idea, I was riding my bike and I had this kind of creepy encounter and that gave me an idea for a new feature. And then kind of friend of the pod, I've mentioned him, Ryan Kramer, uh, he came to visit and I was telling him about it and he gave me like a backstory idea and I was like, you know what, why don't we write it together? And so we just finished a draft of that, our first draft, it's called Buck. And yeah, Have also you noticed that all of them are B names. I know. I don't know what it is about in me and B titles. I mean, it's like my M thing when we were writing Breaking In and like every character I got to name had an M name. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> writers just get stuck on a letter. Yes. Yeah. It happens. But yeah, so yeah. So but both of those projects are smaller and like I'm, I'm excited about both. They're very different. Baby Moon is like atmospheric. It's like very... Mm -hmm especially like you haven't read the yeah it's a haunting and you haven't read the new draft but it it's tighter mm -hmm. but it's still like it's very unnerving but it's not like pulsating in any way um and then buck is like all adrenaline <laughs> like edge of your seat <laughs> the whole time 
so I'm yeah I'm excited but both are very theoretically producible where I live now for you know not like a crowdfunding campaign kind of budget but sure. like you know definitely an ultra low budget contract situation it's interesting that like i have this huge project that has turned into a multi-million dollar film that i hope to get to make but then like everything i've written has been <laughs> to like trying to go back to my roots a little bit but like my hope is that i can make small projects still but have like money on the other side to actually pay everyone extremely sure. well because I've made this bigger film that I do, you know, that I've been wanting to make for like eight years now. So I do very much love this story and I really am desperate to make it. But also I've, I've a little bit realized like how hard it is to get a project of this size when you want to retain like your, you want to, you know, you've written it and you want to be the director and you want to like have it be your movie. It's so hard to get that size project off the ground with just the way Hollywood does everything. But yeah, so, and even like Breaking In is a bigger film, but it's still like, it's still something we could do for under a million for sure. Oh, 100%. Because like, yeah. there's not really stunts. There's like one or two things that like would require some level of something. But like, I'm, I'm thinking like the cold open and then that eventual yeah. full scene and that kind of thing. Like that's, that's probably going to be very special effects heavy. Yeah. But outside of that, it's mostly just like locations and cast yeah. is is the big price point of that film. Yeah, I mean, it is like it's a very indie movie with the exception of very large crowd shots, mm -hmm. like scattered throughout mm -hmm. and that there are a lot of characters. Not to say that you can't do a lot of characters on like a small budget, like about a donkey. We had like fucking nine main characters in that movie, but... <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. it is very hard. So, yeah. So, and you, and like, also we had to cut so much and whatever. So I would say it's probably, we could do it. We could do it on, I think an ultra low budget as well. It's just like on the higher end of that. Any of our super rich listeners, <laughs> if you want to keep hearing from us, maybe you should fund our movie. Yeah. And we have a pitch <laughs> I don't think now, so. <laughs> which you can access on Patreon at the $3 tier. Yeah. Patreon.com slash breaking up pod. <laughs> what about you, Brie? What have you been writing? Writing? Still not writing scripts, except for breaking in. <laughs> mm -hmm. this, that was the only script that I worked on this. Well, no, that's not true. I wrote a really bad half hour, maybe comedy. It would be comedy if I made it good, but it's not good. And then I've written half of two novels. I'm hoping by the end of this month, I will have finished one of them because I did win NaNoWriMo again this year. I hit my 50K mark on October, no, not October, on uh, November 28th. So I finished Yay. early. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> and that one's uh is me trying to write something really kind of tropey and very not like myself. So it's called Rehabbing the Billionaire and it's a billionaire and his assistant marriage of convenience story. So like very tropey, so many tropes. And it's about a CEO of a physical therapy, uh, like rehab corporation and his assistant who is needs to go back to school to become a physical therapist herself. So they get married when he has a he's trying to finish this big business deal. It doesn't matter the details. And uh, his reputation as a playboy is like 
coming out and is it might affect his deal and so he and the assistant get married of convenience so that he will pay for her school and she will help him like rehab his image and you know as like a a married man he's much more calm now now that he has a wife you know all that Mm -hmm. kind of like patriarchal garbage and uh so it's been me trying to kind of find my way through a third person narrative which i haven't written in probably 15 years i'm a very first person narrative kind of girl and also like finding my version of these like very tropey very like common concepts and seeing like is there something new in here is there something that i could play with so it's been kind of one big grand experiment but i've been having fun with it i will never write in third person again not (laughs) not ever but i'm glad i had the experience so hopefully that'll be done by the end of this year i'm probably two-thirds of the way through so that's happening and then i wrote half of another book throughout the rest of the year which i really like but which i have been weirdly resistant to outlining which makes it hard for me as the kind of writer i am to finish it that one's called Mm -hmm. headwaters and it's a road trip romance about two people who are lying to each other at the start of the road trip for different reasons and i really like it it's very vibey and atmospheric for a writer that i am that is not either of those things (laughs) so like it's been a challenge in its own way but that one i didn't adhere to any kind of structure so i've just been kind of like going on this road trip with them and like anytime i'm in the car i listen to the playlist i made for this book and i'm always thinking about this book but i haven't quite nailed like bit by bit what's happening so it's been a Mm. much longer journey but those are the things Mm. i've been writing so a lot of very different stuff this year yeah yeah that does remind me that um i've wrote a short story this year (laughs) oh my god you did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah, thanks to Brie, really. I mean, I had written this sh- short, but it was too long for a short. It was like almost 30 pages. Starting the original draft was 17 pages, but then I kept adding to it because I just found more. Well, you were developing it as a pilot at that point, I feel like. I was. I was developing it as a pilot at that point, but it was like an anthology, sort of like a horror anthology in a way. So every episode would have been like a long short. It wasn't necessary. And they would have been unified by a location, but it wasn't like an ongoing story. Um, mm-hmm. But I just always, because it is about a little girl, a, a a 12-year-old girl experiencing a haunting with her cat, it always felt a little bit hard to envision ever getting to even make it because the cat is such a, like, part of the story, this very emotive part of the story. And somewhere along the way, I don't remember where the idea first came about. I think it was even last year because I wrote it way back in, I think, 2020. It started as something that I wrote because I it's an idea that I always had because it's something inspired by something that happened to me when I was 12, but I never wrote it. And then I had a staffing opportunity back in 2020. So I decided to write it as, you know, a spec for this particular show that was a horror anthology. Yeah. And then I just kept making it longer because I wanted it to be the right length. But yeah, so then somewhere along, along last year, I decided maybe I should try and make it a short story. And then I just like didn't forever until... It might have been August, maybe, I think August, I just suddenly, I'd been reading so much and also I hadn't read your your um, first book yet, but it was like in my mm-hmm. inbox and for whatever reason, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this. So then I turned it into a short story and sent it to Brie and Brie like totally kicked my ass. <laughs> 
and was like it's like the only your... time i've ever been able to do that with christina so i'm honored <laughs> to have gotten the opportunity <laughs> yes brie was like you're a screenwriter who has just like turned it into third person sort of narration like it was just not it was just me being a screenwriter not fully prepared to like get inside the head of the character you just wrote your screenplay in prose form which is Correct. not what adapting is right and it was yeah still, like there was obviously potential like you were right that there's a lot of potential in it in prose but yeah the first draft was definitely a screenplay <laughs> that yes. you reformatted as prose <laughs> yeah but thanks to Brie like being really hard she like went through with notes and was like oh yeah what is like, what does it mean that she furrowed her brows? Like, that's a visual thing. But, like, what is she thinking? Like, it was just, like, all of notes like that. I was like, okay, 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 I get it. I got inside 12-year-old me's head and wrote a better draft. And then Brie gave more notes. And then I ended up with a short story that is just under 5,000 words. And I'm, I think, you know, I'm quite happy with it. And I, I think it works a lot better as a short story because I in general, but also once I got inside of my main character's head, like, it's just so much more enjoyable. Because I think the thing is that I loved this character that I had created. I mean, part of that is maybe my own narcissism, but like, because she is based on 12-year-old me. But I just love this like spunky 12-year-old that I had put into this situation and I wanted to bring it to life. And I didn't feel like a screenplay would ever, that would ever happen with the screenplay. So anyway, yeah. yeah so I, I, tough. Animal actors are tough. Like, yes. the, the things that you can get away with in prose give you a lot more freedom to let both of those characters shine without having to worry about the complications of Yeah, set. right. And performance. Like, yeah, I mm -hmm. mean, so now I'm just submitting it to magazines and stuff. And that's like a whole, been a whole new world that I've learned a lot from Brie and, and really Quinn, <laughs> by extension. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like maybe it won't get published. I hope it will. I, I want it to be out there for people to read. I don't know if I'll write any more prose. It was very, it was so, it was, it was so against everything I know about writing right. in terms Your of instincts. like, yeah, my instincts, like it was, had to really, and and I fear, I, like, I don't know how you go back and forth because I fear that I would get too comfortable in prose and then have these really bad habits to break in screenwriting again, you know, where I'm just like over explaining shit and writing in the wrong tense and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. I mean, to be fair, I haven't gone back and forth very much. I mean, you <laughs> like, did break, breaking in, though. Yeah, but that was a co-written thing. And I like this isn't maybe fair to breaking in, but like breaking in. Because it's not, it wasn't an easy thing to write, but it also was because it mm -hmm. was, we had done such a good job yeah. with conceptualizing it and with it being so us, even mm -hmm. though it wasn't us literally. Like, I don't know, Breaking In didn't even feel like writing a screenplay to me. It just felt like I'm telling a fun story with my friend Christina and it's in screenplay format. But I will also say that like, and I I think you noticed this in a couple places in my first book, which you read, is that like... I kind of write prose like I do <laughs> screenwriting. Like mm. there's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. And yeah. I sometimes don't describe locations or people because I don't care. And because I am definitely still in the phase of like having been went the last time I went from prose to screenplays, people being like, 
you're over directing in action which i know both of us have issues with mm-hmm. but that's also because we're now directors so that that's been my like yeah. oh i'm a director now so i can write directing notes in my <laughs> script it's fine and it's not i'm a prose writer writing screenplays whoops see so yeah, i will say that i'm not great at going back and forth sure well but. so you're really a great prose writer i loved your book and i hope it gets published and that you you Me know too. have more opportunity to keep writing I personally don't think I'm a prose writer. However, I do really love this short story and I think it is quite good. And it is. it's called Little it's Whispers. Really good. Thank you. So hopefully someone likes it. It's a hard sell because it's like not YA, but it is about a 12-year-old. So like, but it's it's set, you know, in 2001 when I was 12. So it's for like nostalgic millennials. But it's not for 12-year-olds to read right now. So, I, like, I don't know. I don't... And so I, I think it's creepy, but it's not, like... It's not, like, so disturbing that I that I think it would do well in, like, a horror magazine. But it also right. is undeniably a horror story. So, like, I don't think regular magazines will publish it. So I don't know. I've been spinning just things, and I hope that it finds a home maybe, you know, whenever we do, like, a reunion episode of our podcast i'll talk about it <laughs> yeah or who knows maybe we could record like an audiobook version and like release <laughs> that on the feed like somebody reading it out loud true that's true maybe then you'd have to cast a little girl or someone who sounds like a little girl i feel like there's a lot of talented voice actors we we interviewed a voice actor who probably has recommendations yeah okay <laughs> cool yeah, the in, in terms of other writing news for me, I have been querying my first book, which is now called Pulling Focus, thanks to the focus group of a handful of writers who read it <laughs> because my original title was not really accurate to what the book was. So I've been querying fo- Pulling Focus to mostly agents, but a handful of like publishers directly. Nobody wants it. <laughs> I've gotten over, I think I'm almost at 60 hard no's, like confirmed no's, and probably 15 to 20, like, I haven't heard back, so I assume it's a no, uh, and I'm running out of people on Query, uh, Query Manager is the platform that I use to, like, find people to query. I think I'm running out of people to send it to who, (laughs) because I'm, you know, I'm querying as many people as I can find. So mm-hmm. that's been challenging because I feel really good about the book. And I, you know, every iteration of it, every time a friend has read it and given me notes, like it gets better and better. And I really am really proud of this book. And I, I feel like it is perfectly marketable in context of what else is out there right now. And I have read over 420 romance novels this year. I know what's out there. And I just got to find my... Uh, gotta find my person because i haven't yet so if anyone knows if anyone knows literary agents please send them my way the big news for me that we didn't actually get to talk about in our mid-year update because it happened like a week after we uploaded the episode is that i got laid off this year so we are now both ex seeden sparkers and i think i can speak for both of us when i say thank god for that Mm -hmm. i have i don't think i've been subtle about feelings about our former workplace. I also want to be clear that like my feelings about our former workplace have nothing to do with being laid off. Frankly, the fact that they laid me off and allowed me to collect unemployment as a result is the kindest thing that company possibly ever did for me, (laughs) certainly in the last couple of years. 
Um, yeah. I <laughs> And, you know, I don't want to go full hater on our final episode of this podcast, but it has definitely been freeing to not mm-hmm. be there. It sucked that I, you know, no longer have regular income or health insurance. It is what it is. But I am genuinely grateful to have been laid off for a lot of reasons. And um, if I can share some advice to anyone who not who's like expecting to get laid off, because nobody really expects to get laid off. But like, if I can give you some advice of things that I'm glad that I did prior to getting laid off, they are to regularly archive emails of people that you have good relationships with. Uh, especially if you have like a separate work email that is connected to your company. Because like, as of like 48 hours after getting laid off, I did not have access to my email anymore. And for a little while, I think they were just forwarding my emails to my former manager. Um, And so like, if things came through, she would forward stuff to me because she and I were on good terms, certainly. But you know, that might not be the case for you. So like if if you have a rapport with like a partner or with a client or like with somebody, have a like way to capture those emails separate from your work account um, so that you don't lose touch with them when you, you know, maybe unexpectedly or maybe not unexpectedly stop working at that company. The same is true for your work product. Like I ever since like a couple of years ago when I stopped working with Starable, I got really, really specific about archiving work product. Um, not only because like sometimes, even if you like have published work on behalf of a former company, that doesn't mean that that's going to stay up forever. Like Starable's forum went down and after I left because like they didn't have anyone to moderate it and like they changed their business model. And there was a lot of work content that I had on that forum that I didn't capture prior to leaving because I kind of just assumed it would still be up. It was on the internet. But when they shut down their forum, all of the all of that content is gone. And so I was much smarter, thankfully, for Seed and Spark, where I like any blog that I wrote, any documentation that I created, like things that were my product, I kept just so that I knew, you know, I could refer back to it and refer people to it. And like I can't publish it as my own until Seed and Spark goes under or whatever, but like I have it. So like no matter what happens on the internet at that company, I have access to the things that I spent four years working on, which has been very useful in Mm -hmm. adapting my own stuff. Also, savings are important. Have a savings account if you can. When I got laid off from, I didn't get laid off from MTV. They just didn't pick up my contract, which is functionally the same thing when all of your employees are (laughs) on three-month contracts. But when I didn't, when I lost my job at MTV, I had like no savings. I had like a month and a half of savings. And, you know, some of that wasn't my fault. I was a 24 year old in New York City. I had just graduated from grad school and had to start paying back student loans suddenly. So like, you know, didn't have a lot to go around, but I certainly wasn't as careful as I could have been in saving and like being cautious. And thankfully, this time around, I had a good chunk of savings. So that was huge. Uh, And then finally, the best thing that I did while at Seed and Spark is that I didn't give them everything. There, uh, especially once Christina left, because Christina was head of education, I kind of like took over that role, sort of, uh, and I was developing a bunch of classes on their behalf and like developing a bunch of documentation and processes and educational events and stuff. And it got to a point where like people were really excited that we had all these new offers. And I was asked to develop a couple of new classes that I ultimately declined to do because Mm -hmm. I knew, A, it wasn't really in our business 
to do that. Like, they wanted me to develop, like, directing classes and, like, you mm-hmm. know, first-time director classes and things like that. And uh, I I said no <laughs> because, one, I was already teaching stuff outside of Seed and Spark that kind of covered that, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to use the stuff that I was paid elsewhere for to be absorbed into the Seed and Spark brand and then never be able to touch it again once I left Seed and Spark one way or another. But mm-hmm. uh, also I knew that there were classes that I wanted to develop, I wanted to develop for like breaking out of break again and for potential other work. And I knew that if I developed too much good work product that was just my work that I was doing on behalf of Seed and Spark, if I ever left, I wouldn't be able to access any of that. And I would have to completely redevelop a bunch of stuff. And I didn't want to do that because I wanted to have something that was still mine. And like so much of the education at Seedenspark now is a result of like you and I's actual filmmaking advice. And like I tried to remove mm-hmm. as much of that stuff as I could before I left because like I feel weird about people using my spreadsheet, you know, um, mm-hmm. screenshots to teach. But there's only so much that you can do because like so many of the classes were personal to us. And so yeah. I, I knew I didn't want to give them everything. Because then once I left, I would be left with nothing. And if I wanted to continue mm-hmm. doing the kind of work that I loved, I couldn't do that to myself. And thank God I did, because now I'm teaching uh, a bunch of new classes for a bunch of different partners, and it's all mine. And the like being cautious about work product that I did on behalf of a larger company and being on good terms with partners has, is what has allowed me to start my own business. Because yeah. like I could have been just fully cut off with nothing and had to start from scratch. But I didn't do that to myself. And I'm really mm-hmm. glad that I had the foresight and the prior bad experience to do that. Yeah. Um, so okay. yeah, I started my own company. Hire me to consult. Hire me to <laughs> teach at your workshop. I have been connecting with a bunch of people that either I've worked with previously or I've wanted to work with now just as a solo entity. And that's been going pretty well. I mean, it's, you know, December. Nobody wants to work. I don't want to work right now. So certainly it's been slower than I would love. But I, I've, I've been consulting with people, helping with crowdfunding campaigns and with producing and teaching classes on pitching and all that kind of stuff. And it's been really rewarding and I'm hopeful. And uh, my ambition for 2024 is to, at the very least, make rent with my side business, with like my Mm -hmm. business and supplement that with like other work, which I'm also working on right now. So if you would like to help me pay my rent and also get really great genuinely low-priced advice um, about crowdfunding and production, please hire me. BrieCastellini.com slash consultations. Yes, hire Brief. The only other thing that I did this year is I started going to a lot more movies because I got, we, we live within like a mile and a half of an AMC and there's really good parking around there and <laughs> As you, uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast like a million times, but like I don't go places in LA unless I know that there's good parking (laughs) and there's great parking around the AMC near us uh, at Burbank Town Center. So we got one of, I'm on the A list now because we, I wanted to see more movies and like, it's a good excuse for Quinn and I to get out of the apartment. And like, it's a good thing for me to still be like somewhat aware of what's going on in media. Mm -hmm. So we watched a bunch of movies this year and there were some really good ones that I was really glad to have seen in theaters. Uh, Joyride and Bottoms, I would say, are, were like my two big ones. Big yeah, laughs. I loved like, both. 
They were so fun. Just such fun movies. I think my <laughs> best theater experience, though, was the, the new Mission Impossible movie because we were in one of the theaters that has like a rumble pack in the seats. And mm-hmm. I unironically love Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise <laughs> is a movie star, and I love that for him. And I just, those movies are exactly what I want them to be. And I hadn't seen one in theaters ever. I'd never seen a Mission Impossible in theaters and it was so much fucking fun and it was rumbling and when a train got derailed like you thought you were being derailed it was like this is <laughs> the movie experience that I have been missing. I will also say surprise hit for me was The Holdovers. I, I did not yet. like the trailer's not good but <laughs> that movie is actually like surprisingly heartwarming and like a mm. really like nice like Christmas movie. I I really enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, I also went to Saltburn last week. That sure was a movie that happened. Gorgeous. (laughs) But what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And I am really worried that I'm not going to get to see American fiction in theaters because I, when it comes out, I will be home at at my hometown, in in my hometown of Colorado, and it's a really small town, and we tend to not get the more, like, indie like limited release sort of movies and i have a feeling Mm. that's what american fiction is gonna be and so i'm really worried that i'm gonna miss it in theaters uh because that's like i think my most anticipated upcoming movie at least for the Mm. like immediate like month cool yeah but i saw a lot of movies this year and it's been really fun that's great yeah some of my favorite movies we talked about favorite movies from the first half of the year so second half i also really love joyride and bottoms um, I also loved Theater Camp, which... Yeah, I, I, I think I was, like, just getting the AMC app at that time, mm-hmm. and, like, I we were just too late to see it when you started promoting it to me. Yeah, it's a really fun one, and it did show for a long time in theaters near me because it was shot near me, so it was, like, ah, a local yeah, it gem. Was not, it was not out here as long. Such a delight. I really recommend it on streaming, whatever. I was going to say, <laughs> is it streaming somewhere? I think it's on Hulu, which I'm boycotting currently, but I think it's on Hulu. Yeah, you're right. It is. Passage was lovely. It was just lovely. It was uh, a favorite, a very quiet, bittersweet movie. And I just watched May, December. Did you see that? Oh, I've heard a lot about that. That's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's on Netflix now. Um... I kind of feel like maybe it's my favorite movie of the year, which is really weird because when I first watched it, I was like, I wouldn't have said it was my favorite movie of the year, but I can't stop thinking about it. And that kind of makes Mm. me think that it was. And it's one of those movies that's very like in an ethical gray area because it is pulled from a true story so much. And the like victim of that true story, whether he perceives himself as a victim or not, is very gray he's still alive his children are obviously still alive they're only in their 20s so it's a weird thing it's it's very very pulled from real life but i found it extremely compelling like it just sucks you in and the performances across the board were just phenomenal and particularly charles melton charles melton plays joe in the movie He's was just like stole scenes, like a total scene stealer with two like powerhouse performers, Oscar winning performers. So he was just like heartbreaking his character and just like his every his emotional trajectory was just heartbreaking. 
Anyway, very, 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 very compelling, very interestingly, interesting tonally because it has like some very laugh out loud moments because they're so like jarring, but then it's also like incredibly heartbreaking and, and it says a lot about like, it's both like, while it is being a problematic entity that is cons is using someone's real life story for like consumption and entertainment, it also is commenting on that like in this very meta mm -hmm. way by having this character go to study the person she's going to be playing in a movie and like wreaking havoc with her own narcissism in a very narcissistic existing world already. So like, it was just very, very interesting and very like, I can't stop thinking about it. So it maybe is my favorite movie, even though it like made me so uncomfortable and just like the real situation just makes me so sick. That has seemed to be the consensus that I've seen um, that, 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 that that movie is like, nobody likes watching it but no, no one can stop thinking about it and it yes. thinks it's like genius and also maybe the worst thing that's ever happened but genius <laughs> nonetheless it's like yeah that's friends that's cinema i love that for them totally yes oh and you know what i just watched what's that that i had no idea what it was going in reality it's an it's not exclusively on hbo i think uh because that's what i watched mm. it on or whatever the fuck it's called now and <laughs> max yeah I will only call it HBO the same way I'll only call Twitter, Twitter. But that movie is about the whistleblower who was from the NSA and told us about Russians, the Russia interfering in our, in our election, um, our 2016 election. Mm -hmm. And what makes it a fascinating watch is that the movie is a word for word recreation of the FBI interrogation of her when they showed up at her house and even down to like clearing a throat or like every single pause is from the transcript wow <laughs> and so and like they had there was an, that's the it's whole an movie that the whole movie it's an audio recording and they and it's like it starts where it starts and it ends where it ended like that is the movie and so these actors have to perform and say it exactly the way it was really said but like they don't know what their body language was and they have to like make it make sense from a character perspective but i found it so fascinating because you are literally watching the tactics of the fbi interrogate someone and like how they disarm people and it was just fascinating and also what's her face oh, she like sydney sweeney yes sydney sweeney who i had found very funny in what the hell is the name of that show? Not Euphoria? The, no, the gays are trying to kill me. The gays, the gays. The oh, uh, White Lotus. <laughs> White Lotus. I would found her extremely funny in the first season of White Lotus. <laughs> and she was so funny in that. But I did not think that she had, like, the serious acting that she exhibits in reality. So despite her incredibly Trumpy family, I uh, was impressed with her. Anyway, I found it really fascinating from this, like, interesting mix of reality and and cinema. Um, and the fact that the person, her name is reality is like really interesting. Reality realize, winner. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was why like it was called reality. And then the last thing I had on my list for the second half of the year was Talk To Me, which was a horror movie that it came out fairly recently and it was fun, it was unnerving. It was, it was one of those movies where it's like, I would never do what they're doing. It's like these teenagers start playing with this dead hand that allows a spirit to take over your body for a window of time, but like you have to, you have to kick it out. Otherwise 
bad shit can happen if it stays more than like five minutes or something. I don't remember the exact amount of time. And then of course, one of them accidentally allows it to stay too long. And so it's like, you have to suspend. I mean, I guess I could buy that teenagers would do stupid shit like that, but I found it to be like most movies now. I feel like so many movies are just about generational trauma. Like that's like the new thing that everyone's making a movie about. It's just so millennial of us. But um, I was just gonna say, it's, it's a very millennial trend. <laughs> yes. All of us uh, read adult children of emotionally unavailable parents and yes. we're never gonna be okay again. <laughs> Right. Uh, so I thought it was a good movie. I mean, it was one of those movies that cast a black woman lead, but it was written by white dudes. And so there's some layers of like, okay, yeah, you know, there's a little bit of like diversity slapped on a white sure. perspective, but it was a good movie. It was a very like good horror, indie horror movie that I enjoyed. So that's it for cool. movies on my list. Well, TV, I have the show I'm a Virgo, which is Boots Riley's new show. Right that was excellent and unlike anything I'd seen and I just love Boots Riley because I feel like he's an example of someone one of the very few people who I think get to exist within the Hollywood system but like he just says whatever the fuck he wants and he calls out the system for being the system and still has a career and I love that for him and I hope that for more people (laughs) and how is he able to do that is he independently wealthy what's his deal I really don't know. I have to look into it more because truly, like, I'm so, how he manages, how he managed to get, like, this, this funded, I don't know. Yeah, also his work is, like, so much about calling out the systems. And, yeah, I don't know. But I, I really appreciate I'm a Virgo. I think you would like it. You should watch it. Um, it's really like I a coming of age story, but then sort of like a superhero show, sort of, <laughs> and very much timely in its themes. And then Deadlock, loved Deadlock. It was, if you've watched anything like Broadchurch, if you watch anything that's like small town murder and like small town detectives have to try and investigate their own town to figure out who the killer is, like, this is such a fun meta spin on it like it both exists as that thing but is also satirizing that formula and is very subversive and very very funny and it's like an almost entire women cast like everyone's gay on the show like it's just really (laughs) really fun and I loved it I watched it once by myself and then I watched it again with Justin and then the bear season two I really liked the first season but I was kind of like you know it's good I wasn't writing home about it you know, per se, but then season two was excellent. Like I found season two to be quite lovely. Like some, some episodes in particular just really sit with you. I think it's a little bit of a fantasy, but it is a really wonderful look at how you can try and, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's really possible, but it's a show where instead of like gentrifying a neighborhood, it, the care, they like send everyone to get trained so that they can retain their jobs that was just like a sandwich shop that becomes a fine dining restaurant and like it is a really good look at how you can be aspirational and like aspire to have a like quote-unquote fancy restaurant in an area if you come from that like isn't fancy and not just 
abuse the people that are from that area but actually like lift them up with you again it's like a little bit of a fantasy but i think it's a really lovely like conceptually and, and really a lovely lesson of what if reservation dogs had their final season really loved that it was really moving and had one particular episode that was really excellent that was like a horror film from the 70s and barry also had its last season and it was very very i don't know i just love the meta-ness of that show and like how it just kind of like shits on our industry like the bat you know all the awful things about it and then love struck because we both starstruck talked about the first season i think our first season and this was the third and final season and i really did like the ending i thought the second season was unwarranted like the first felt mm. like a standalone and the second was unnecessary and kind of like you know we you were it was a little bit like a cash grab but then season three felt very warranted like in a way because it was like okay well now you've made it not a limited series so now you need to finish it and mm -hmm. it did something i wasn't expecting and i liked it and it felt very i need to see it yeah I so just, um yeah truly watch nothing like, this is a <laughs> you listing all these is a good reminder of oh yeah i was gonna watch that oh yeah i was gonna watch that you but, watched like, poker face i feel like that was one thing you watched right oh i did that was the thing that we that i watched at home because i got a peacock subscription peacock i got a peacock <laughs> subscription when my mom had her hip replaced because you had recommended so many things from it and so we watched <laughs> that oh we also started watching girls five eva which my mom i think was my mom's favorite thing that we watched uh, she really yeah. liked that one. Um, I think we, I think we talked about maybe both of them in the in the mid year check. Because yeah, because the yeah. that was May. May was of this year was my mom's hip surgery. So that was when I watched most of the content that I watched this year. Otherwise, I was reading uh, four hundred and twenty books. So, but I will say, in terms of books, Courtney Milan, I think, is my favorite new to me author of this year um because i have obviously read lots of authors this year but i think courtney courtney milan i think is my favorite new author she's a historical romance writer she writes a lot of asian characters and um a lot of queer characters and her books are like both love letters to romance as a genre and format and also like striking indictments of it at the same time which i find really fascinating like she's one of those people who clearly like understands the formula loves the formula has read it a long time and is also like not afraid to critique it within the love for it which is such a like hard balance i feel like in any kind of writing is like if you love something but you want to kind of like point out some inefficiencies or inequalities or whatever sometimes yeah. you can go too far and i feel like a lot of like tv rom-com like not tv but like film rom-coms these days are too self-aware in like a way that's mm -hmm. like aren't these tough or like new disney movies for the same reasons and i i feel like courtney milan is the kind of writer who like doesn't go overboard with the like satirizing because she really does genuinely love the like ba base formula but she like heightens it in a way which i find really really lovely and compelling and uh cannot recommend her enough um, if anyone wants to start with her, I've um, I've almost read her entire backlist, but I will say her Worth Family series is my favorite so far. Cool. So, yeah, Courtney Milan doing it, doing it right. She apparently went to war with the Romance Writers of America, calling them out for being like super racist and exclusionary. And like they tried to blacklist her and everyone quit as a result in solidarity. And so oh, she also cool. just sounds like super cool <laughs> just as a person. But that yeah, cool. so if you're. 
if you're into historical fiction, uh, she's a, she might be the writer for you to start with. Cool. I might read some, I might read one of them because I haven't done any historical fiction, but I might give it a shot. I fell off. I've only really read maybe like one or two books a month for the second half of the year when I was on like a 10 book a month streak for the first half. But I've at least continued with the, with at least one a month. So that's better than last year for sure. And I don't really have a favorite of what I read in the second half, at least not that comes to mind, except for this book you may have heard of called Pulling Focus by Brie Castellini. <laughs> for a second, I didn't know what you were doing. And I was like, have I heard of it? <laughs> All right, it's me. Uh, somebody publish me, please. I love this book so much. I do too. Please. Yeah, please. Thank you. I do appreciate you reading it and liking it. Do you have any final thoughts in this final episode of our final season of our podcast? <laughs> no, just thank you. Thanks for listening. I I hope we've made your journey as a creative a little bit, if not easier, just more bearable. Less alone. <laughs> yeah, less alone. <laughs> less alone. Um, and we're still here, as we said earlier. So find us online. You can always email us, DM us. We're around and hopefully we will be back in some capacity, even if it's like we do an end of year recap moving forward. Sure. Or like we'll a see. case study when we eventually yeah. get to, uh, when you make your movie, when we make our movie. Who knows? Yes. Maybe Brie will do a whole like offshoot when she publishes her book. For people who I am write trying to adapt it as a mini series now, as like a I, my writers group is back together and we have to write <laughs> scripts again. Ugh. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, well maybe I'll try to adapt pulling focus as like a mini series, like in the in the vein of like Heartstopper or something like that. Oh, cool. So we'll see. We'll see you around, even if we don't see you in the feed. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Genuinely, thank you for all the support you've given us the past couple of years. Yes. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, and to all of you for listening these past three seasons. Links to learn more about them, as always, is in our episode description. And thank you to our final season Booby VIPs, Brandy Nicole and Kelsey Rauber, whose continued support in pretty much every area of our lives has meant the absolute <laughs> world to us. And remember, for everyone else, we are pausing payments on our Patreon, so it's no longer a monthly subscription, but you can still sign up for the $3 tier at any time to access our archive of templates, infographics, and curated links. So access that over on patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.